Mark this morning, the Gospel of Mark, beginning in verse 14. We've all begun something new at some point in our lives. Maybe it's a new job we took, and we wonder, what's the boss going to be like? What are the expectations going to be? What about the coworkers? Perhaps it's something like renting some new ground. How is this going to work out? Is it going to yield well? What will be the relationship with the landowner? Or maybe being a part of an organization, wondering what are they going to expect of me? What uh, commitment do I need here? What is this going to entail? Jesus here in Mark chapter 1 is going to begin his ministry. And as he begins his ministry, we rightly need to ask, what is going to be the heart of that ministry? What's it going to be like? And from the very beginning, we see in what he proclaims, what he values, what really is the heart of Jesus' ministry here. And so in Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20, we read about the beginning of his ministry. We want to ask this question, what is the heart of his ministry? And we'll see this in two different uh, characteristics here, these values here. First of all, Jesus called people to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus called people to repent and believe the gospel. We read in verse 14, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. This John is John the Baptist, the one who came baptizing. We read about his ministry earlier in this chapter as he called people to uh, repent and be baptized. Uh, Repent inwardly, show that outwardly by being baptized proclaiming that they were ready to greet the Messiah. John's ministry was preparing people for the coming of Jesus Christ, who he said was far greater than I am. And uh, John's ministry came to really an abrupt end when he called out the, the sin of Herod, the king. Herod didn't like that, and so he put him into prison. And for all practical purposes, John's public ministry had come to an end. And even though we read in the Gospel of John, there's an overlap between Jesus and John's ministry, Mark presents to us that Jesus is continuing John's ministry. John's not able to minister anymore. He's he's in prison. What is Jesus doing? He's continuing that ministry. And what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel of God in the region of Galilee, and Mark is presenting him just starting out in Galilee. And it it's teaches us that Mark's gospel is not chronological. It's not starting at the very beginning and going through every little detail. But rather, he groups things together about Jesus' ministry. He's going to have a number of events of Jesus' ministry in the region of Galilee. Let's see if I remember correct here. Here's, the, here's Galilee, uh, northern Israel. Uh, we're going to see in just a moment a ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus grew up in this region, uh, in the town of Nazareth. There's lots of little towns. It was a very fertile area, uh, good fishing in the Sea of Galilee there. And he's, he's, this is where Mark says he be, he's beginning his ministry. And what is this ministry? It's a call to understand the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel of God. This gospel is of God, that it comes from God, and that it's also of God, that it's about God, particularly the Son, Jesus Christ. And it relates to the kingdom of God. 
So he says there in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. It's come. The kingdom of God is at hand. I think it's the idea of that it's imminent. It's being presented. It could happen at any time. And they needed to repent and believe the gospel. We need to ask ourselves, what is this kingdom that he's talking about here? It's not a prevalent theme in the gospel of Mark, but it is come up. And uh, one of the ways that we see this is the accusation that's given to Jesus, why he's being put to death. Remember what it says above the cross in Mark 15, 26. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. You could read through the, the arrest narrative in Mark 15, verse 2, verse 9, verse 12, verse 18, and you see these questions being asked about Jesus. Are you the king? Are you the king? Are you the king? And that was why he was put to death, being the king. What does it mean to be a king if one doesn't have a kingdom? And he was the king for sure, but what sort of kingdom did he have? What was he talking about when he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand? I think there's three main options. There are certainly many variations of this as people have understood the Bible. The first would be that the full kingdom is the kingdom of the Old Testament as prophesied to the nation of Israel with all of its spiritual and physical blessings that they would be restored to Israel, there would be a king on the throne, they would have these physical blessings of God and the spiritual blessings. I think, uh, we'll look, I think that's where what he's talking about here, but that is one a main understanding of the kingdom that is being presented here. Another understanding, some have understood this kingdom just to be spiritual in nature. Jesus is just talking about uh, salvation of people and spiritual blessings. And in this, they don't say that there's any future kingdom for Israel. Another view that people have come is kind of a combination, but an already not yet. Whereas the kingdom has come, it's been presented, but not all the spiritual and physical blessings are, are there yet. And so God's reign has been inaugurated as first coming, but will be fully fulfilled in his second coming. And I think... Uh, as we look, we would look in the Old Testament and look at the prophecies of the, speaking to the nation of Israel. I think a normal literal reading of our Bible leads us to understand this kingdom that Jesus is offering is the full kingdom that is talked about in the Old Testament. That he would be the king who would restore the nation of Israel spiritually and physically. And if they Notice the response that they needed to repent and believe. There's a spiritual element to the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. One writer says, The best understanding is that John and Jesus' presentation of the kingdom involved the full package of the kingdom blessings as foretold in the Old Testament. As the kingdom message played out in real time, it would be evident that there would be two comings of the king. But this does not negate the reality that the king and its entirety, kingdom in its entirety was proclaimed as near when John and Jesus began their ministries. What would the nation of Israel do with their king? Reject him. They wanted the political leader, but they didn't want to, as a whole, deal with their sin spiritually in anticipating the coming of their king. And so they would put him to death 
and he would rise again and come again in power and glory as the conquering king. But here he is the suffering king, but yet the offer of this kingdom was a legitimate offer. And so he's calling them to that spiritual requirement for them to repent and believe the gospel. In proclaiming this ministry, this message, he's really carrying on the message of John the Baptist, who called them And from verse 4. Uh, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As we looked at that last week, we saw that John was calling them, and Jesus here is calling them to repent, to have this change of mind about their sin, to say, yes, God, we are sinners against you. Holy God, we deserve your judgment. You are righteous and we are not. But notice the combination here, repentance and believe. Repentance, true repentance, leads to a trust in Jesus Christ as one Savior. Jesus is the one who has come, the Messiah, the Savior has come. And he's calling them to believe in him, who he is as a person, and then what he would do. And that what Jesus would do is later unfolded in the gospel of all the gospels. Uh, He would die upon the cross for the sins of the world and rise again. But here he's calling them to prepare your hearts, deal with your sin, and come and to believe in Jesus, and Jesus alone as your Savior. Faith is called to be placed in the person of Jesus Christ. And this message of the gospel, this good news, is what Jesus is proclaiming to them. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read about this message of the gospel. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The message about Jesus, the good news about Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose again, that whoever uh, turns, repents, and believes in Christ is saved. This is a decision that each of us must make. Will you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, that's a decision to urge you to make today. This decision is what transfers someone, as Colossians 1 says, from the power of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love, from sin into Christ's kingdom, into his, uh, that relationship with Him. And the message of the gospel is one that we keep believing. We believe in him as our savior and enter into that relationship with him. And then we keep believing in the gospel. Even as 1 Corinthians says, uh, you hold fast to that word. If Jesus was your savior yesterday, you need him as your savior today. You always need the work of Christ on your behalf, the one who paid the penalty for your sin and rose again. So we don't move away from the gospel. We keep dealing with our sin, with repentance, and ongoing faith in Jesus Christ. These are the two human responses given to the gospel. And as you read in the New Testament, some are mentioned just 
just together. Sometimes it often it's just the word believe, but I think both understandings are there. It's like two sides of the same coin. You look at one, you only see one side, but yet the under, other understanding is there. I've made up a little, some wooden discs, little coins with the words given on those. So you could pass those around. Uh, you're, you're welcome to take one or just look at it if you want, but it should be about enough for everyone there. Just a little reminder to think about this here. The human response, as Jesus is saying to the gospel, is to repent and believe. And this is carried through into the New Testament. I want us to look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Here Peter is proclaiming the gospel to a man named Cornelius who was curious about Jesus. He had a foundation of understanding who God was. And so he sends for Peter, and Peter comes to him, and he proclaims to him this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, let's pick up in chapter 10, verse 42. Acts chapter 10, verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, that's the name of Jesus, whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness of sins. So what is he doing? He's urging them to believe in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. And so that's what they they did. Uh, Cornelius and those in his household, they believed. They received the Spirit and were baptized And then later on in chapter 11, Peter is giving an explanation of what happened. He's telling other believers as they were wondering, how did you go to a Gentile? And he's saying, this is what God has done. Look in chapter 11 and verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift that is of the Spirit, that is he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God also has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. He mentions belief, and he mentions repentance, saying that's what's taking place here. This is what God is doing in those. And so, too, as Jesus said, to repent and believe the gospel, so, too, that is what we want to call people to do as well. One more reference over in Acts chapter 20 and verse 21. Paul is explaining his ministry to the elders, the the leaders, the pastors of the church in Ephesus. And he's sharing that he just taught them all of God's word. And what he mentions in verse 21, Acts 20 and verse 21, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. This is for all people, for Jews and Gentiles, anyone. What do they need to do? They need to show this repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is the message of the human response of the gospel that we need to share with others, to urge them to turn, uh, to repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. The privilege to be able to proclaim to others. So Jesus called people to repent and believe the gospel, and then Jesus called people to follow him. 
Back in chapter, Mark chapter 1, remember Jesus is in the region of Galilee. So here he's going to walk by the Sea of Galilee. Although it was fairly early in the morning because they were still fishing at this point. And he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. They were fishermen not because of that was just their hobby, but rather this was their job. Uh, this is how they earned their living. Even to this day, there's a lot of fishing that goes on in the Sea of Galilee. People uh, in that day especially depended upon fish for their food. And so they were meeting this need there. They were casting their nets into the sea, something like this, a, a net with weights around the edges. They'd cast it out either from the shore or from a boat, and then they would draw it in and gather what, what was in the net there. So this is what Simon and Andrew were doing. Another name for Simon is Peter. Uh, this was their job. And Jesus, verse 17, he comes by them and says, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. So he calls them to follow after him. And he would teach them to become fishers of men, not just to fish for fish, but to fish for people, to bring them to Jesus Christ. What does verse 18 say? And immediately, they immediately left their nets and followed him. It's going to be repeated with James and John as well. These are the sons of Zebedee. This was a larger fishing operation because they had hired servants. But yet he calls them as well to follow after him. And they immediately, they left their nets also and they went after Jesus. They followed him. These are some of the first four who, of the 12 disciples. He would call others at various times, and they would spend the next three and a half years with Jesus. And he was the one who called them to himself. We need to think about this because in that day, there was a number of rabbis or teachers in Israel. And often, if someone wanted to learn from that teacher, they would say, I want to follow that teacher. And they would go, they would choose to go follow after that teacher and learn from them. But Jesus does the exact opposite. He is the one who calls them to follow him. You could look at the other gospels and see probably that Jesus knew these men before. But that's not what Mark is trying to impress upon us. He's trying to impress upon us the authority of Jesus to say if he calls them to follow after him, they need to do it. It doesn't depend on how much knowledge they have of Jesus. They probably had some. It didn't depend upon how much uh, knowledge they had of the future. You know, Judas was the one who betrayed, took Jesus took his own life, but all the others except one died a martyr's death. Because they're following Jesus, and they didn't know this at this point. They didn't say, well, Jesus, can you tell us what our lives are going to be look like if we follow you? No, they said, you are the one who is worth following. And in the process of following, they learned of Jesus, and they believed in him, and they committed their lives to him. Notice the urgency of this. They immediately followed Jesus. They didn't wait. They didn't make excuses. They left and followed him right away. 
And as they left, they left behind the financial security. Fishing, if, especially if you were good at it, it's a good livelihood. People depended upon this food. And they were leaving their jobs to go follow Jesus, to depend upon him taking care of them, providing for them along the way. Authentic faith always leads to following Jesus. There's a good connection. We need to see this connection. Repent and believe the gospel. What does that lead us to do? Follow Jesus. We need to follow Jesus with our lives. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, you need to see this connection that Jesus, too, calls you to follow after him and to learn of him. And a lot of those same things that apply to the disciples apply to us as well. We don't have to know all what that will entail for us in the future to know that he is worth following, that the authority of Jesus should lead us to obey him. Following Jesus must be on his terms, not on our terms. We can't set the stipulations and saying, well, if you do this for me, then I'll follow you. We can't put in these qualifications. Obedience needs to be right away. Obedience uh, following to him must lead with to obedience what we know to be true. And if you are here today and you are ignoring some truth of God's word, say, I'm not willing to obey God in this, then you are not truly following him the way that he wants you to. You could be struggling to obey. That's a different matter. But if you're ignoring or purposely disobeying something that God has said in his word, then that is not truly following him. Because following him leads to obedience leads to trusting what he has for you, a surrender to God in his ways, a putting him first in your life, his plan and what he wants for you. The Gospel of Mark will continue to show us what it looks like to follow Jesus. And remember, Mark was one who stumbled and fell along the way. He at times cowered back from the difficulties of following Jesus but here he is writing a little later in his life and saying, Jesus is not only worth believing, but he's worth following. And just like the disciples in the very beginning who came and followed him, we too, as would to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, should go and follow him. Jesus, at the end of his ministry and time on earth, just soon before he went up to heaven, he said this in Matthew chapter 28, probably just a page or two before in your Bibles. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He would call his disciples to go make other disciples. Those who would believe in him and follow him. Those who would publicly identify by being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And then they were to teach them to obey all things that Jesus has commanded. We need to be careful of a mindset that says, I know a little bit of what Jesus wants for me. And I'm okay with that little bit. Because what does he say? That we are to observe all things that he's commanded. We want to keep learning all of what he said. And by his power, his grace, his strength, obey that, put that into practice in our lives as we follow our Savior, Jesus Christ. We looked at last week, kind of the theme of the Gospel of Mark, seeing, believing, and following Jesus. Already he's declared to us the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's shown us that he is indeed the Son of God, the promised Messiah who was fully qualified to be the Savior. And he's called us to believe and called us to follow him. What does that look like for you in your life? Are you following Jesus faithfully? Is that what is before you? Are there areas that you say, you know what, I need to grow in this. I need to change in this. I need to surrender to God in my life in this to follow him more faithfully. What does it look like for you as a believer in Christ, to follow him. Is that what is true of you? Dear Heavenly Father, pray that you would teach us how you want us to follow you. Certainly that leads to obedience to your word. And I pray that each one here would be depending upon you and seeking by your grace to walk in that obedience to your word. And if there's something in our lives that we know that is in disobedience to your word, may we repent and may we ask your help to to grow and change so that we would obey you. And help us, Lord, not to be content with just a little bit of knowledge of Jesus. You've given us your word. You've given us four gospels to tell us about the person and life and ministry of Jesus. You've given us so much truth Help us to grow in that so that we can be more faithful followers of Jesus Christ who are seeking to obey all the things that you have said. And Lord, is certainly it's a struggle in our lives at times to follow Jesus. Struggle with sin, struggle with our own lack of desire at times or lack of seeing the importance. I pray that you would stir in us this this longing, that desire, that willingness to be more faithful in following Jesus. That others would know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. That he is our Lord and our Savior. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.